You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 214 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our saying this week is from Sayings Gospel Q, the parable of the mustard seed. Our featured text is Q 13, 18 through 19. What is the kingdom of God like, and with what am I to compare it? It is like a seed of mustard, which a person took and threw into his garden, and it grew and developed into a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Our companion texts are Matthew 13, 31-32. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Luke thirteen eighteen through 19 Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. In Gospel of Thomas 20, the disciples said to Jesus, Tell us whom the kingdom of heaven is like. He said to them, It is like a mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it falls on cultivated soil, it produces a large branch and some shelter for the birds of the sky. And Daniel four twenty through 22 The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. Uh, Let's begin this week by talking about a mistaken uh, classification. In the first century, mustard seeds were considered an invasive and a noxious weed. If a gardener did uh, did not uproot it from their garden, they'd soon have a garden. They wouldn't have a garden left to tend. Their their, their entire garden would be taken over. And then, uh, just as now, uh, weeds should be rooted out, lest they take over and and crowd out the crops that you've intentionally planted there. But mustard seeds, too, we have to consider this this week. They don't grow into trees. The image of a weed growing into a tree that that benefits those around it means that we've misclassified as a weed something that is actually a fruit-bearing tree. And, And let me say it again just so we can be clear. Mustard plants don't grow into trees. If what we've labeled as mustard If that grows into a tree, it's not a mustard weed. Uh, We've made a mistake. It's something entirely different from mustard. And this week's saying, Jesus likens his new community of of nonviolence and mutual aid and resource redistribution to a tree that is originally seen as a weed. In other words, the way the first century farmers viewed the mustard plant was the, the way that people viewed Jesus' teachings, and the community of Jesus' followers centered in those teachings. Their existence was felt to be something that was to be rooted out. They were just about as welcome as weeds would be in a garden. But then Jesus, his saying takes a hard right turn, and what people think is a a noxious mustard weed, it doesn't produce the same results as mustard. It doesn't take over the garden like a weed and leave nothing for anyone. Um, Instead, it becomes a tree. It becomes a source of shelter. It becomes food 
uh, and food for all in its vicinity. It's originally viewed as a weed, remember, but it doesn't bear the same fruit as a weed. And the image that Jesus uses for his community, the tree mistaken for a weed, is from a story in the Hebrew apocalyptic book of Daniel. And Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was likened to a fruit tree that provided food and a resting place and shelter to all. And our saying uh, this week, it takes on that imagery um, as as a message. You're, you're working so hard to keep me out of your garden as if I'm mustard weed. And, and, I, and you're trying to uproot me completely. And we, we know that there were movements afoot already in the Jesus story at this point, um, wanting to try to have Jesus executed. It, it, but, but the message in this week's saying is, but you've misjudged me. My fruit is not harmful, but life and peace and good for all. This week's saying isn't saying that all weeds should be welcomed in the garden. Um, that isn't saying that we shouldn't weed or that all weeds are, are good now. It's asking us to check our assumptions about what we have classified as weeds. And what if we've made a mistake? What if you've judged something to be a harmful weed, but that judgment is quite incorrect? Jesus' society was beginning to view his teachings on nonviolent resistance and wealth redistribution as a weed that had to be removed. And so his saying uh, called them to see their, their judgment as a mistake. What Jesus was teaching, it could lead to peace and, and liberation rooted in an expression of distributive justice for everyone. And what the people viewed as a weed to be rooted out was actually a, a tree of life. And today, it reminds me of how I get letters from time to time asking me to explain how on earth I can be a Jesus follower and affirm the LGBTQ community. And, th- and these writers are sincere, but they're they're typically they typically use misinformed language such as lifestyle when they're actually referring to same sex intimacy. They're they're also often profoundly certain about how clear the Bible's teachings are, and they compare my LGBTQ friends with adulterers. They compare them with fornicators and alcoholics and drug abusers and child molesters. And they want me to explain to them how I could affirm LGBTQ people and their allegedly sinful behaviors, quote-unquote. One of my lesbian friends is is a more devoted Christian than I am. She's been with her wife for over 20 years, and, and I, I actually admire their commitment to each other. She's a, a teetotaler. She doesn't drink tea, no coffee, um, much less does she use like d- drugs and alcohol. And, and to even place my friends in the same category with abusers, it, it's just flatly, it's offensive. Uh, and as I consider the misclassification of the mustard seed in this week's saying and the misclassification of Jesus's kingdom in the first century, I can't help but think of the misclassification of my LGBTQ friends today, too. And, and let me be clear, this week's saying is not calling its audience to embrace weeds, but to question their classification of a tree as a weed. And similarly, the call to affirm or to embrace or to include LGBTQ Christians in the church, it's not a call to affirm things that are intrinsically harmful. 
Instead, it should help us recognize that the LGBTQ community, it doesn't deserve to be on that harmful list in the first place. And there's two lists in the New Testament um, that that my letter writers, the, those who send me letters, they often mention. The first one is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. And the second one is 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11. And I'm going to read both of these. It's from the English Standard Version. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Timothy Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Now, the word here uh, for men who practice homosexuality, that phrase comes from the Greek word arsenikoitai. And I'm going to, to, we're going to talk about that for a minute. And the question I want us to consider is whether the modern phrase, men who practice homosexuality, is the most accurate translation of the ancient Greek word arsenikoitai. And I'm going to put forth that it isn't. I'm gonna. I'm also gonna put a link in this week's e-site of some examples of where of how this word has been translated. Uh, the English words that have been used uh, have been translated um, from everything from pimping to to masturbation. Um, bet you didn't know we were going to talk about that this week in this week's e-site. But regardless, we're going to be. I'll, I'll give you a link of 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 all the ways that this. A word has been translated in English translations. And in English, the the category homosexuality, it wasn't even used until 1886. And the word wasn't inserted into any English translation of the Bible for another 60 years after that in 1946. There were several English language Bibles before 1946, and none of them used the word uh, or the phrase men who practice homosexuality or or even euphemisms for it. The the Greek uh, word used here when the New Testament was written, the, the, the Greek language, it included multiple terms for same-sex sexual activities. And those, te- those terms that were contemporarily used back then for that are never, they never appear in the New Testament. Instead, we find the extremely rare and quite specific term Arsenikoitai. And Justin Lee of the Gay Christian Network, he writes, the most likely explanation is that Paul is referring to a practice that was fairly common in the Greek culture of his day, married men who had sex with male youths on the side. These extramarital relationships of men with boys in ancient Greek are infamous even today. Archaeological and literary evidence prove that these relationships were common in first century Greece, though they were frowned upon by many even while they were publicly practiced. This would make a perfect target for Paul's vice lists, and it would explain why in both lists he mentions the sin of the arsenikoitai separately after he mentions adultery, because technically, by Greek thought, 
having a boy on the side wasn't adultery. What men, I'll put a link to, to the Gay Christian Network's website there where you can read more, you can read the context of his statement here. But what many scholars today agree on is that these two passages, the Corinthians 1 and the Timothy 1, they're referring to a then common practice of pederasty. It's not what we know now as homosexuality. And using the term homosexuality here, it's not accurate. And consider how the passage would read if we were more careful with our translations. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 again, I'm going to, to, to retranslate it. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice pederasty, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you understand the culture of that time, it's this translation that makes more cultural sense uh, to that day. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and the sexually immoral, men who practice pederasty, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. And again, for more on other passages in the Christian scriptures, in the Christian sacred texts that typically that are used in this debate, um, I'm going to give you Justin's view, a link to Justin's view from, from GCN, Gay Christian Network there. You can look that up on your own. Those are just two of the New Testament passages. The, the, there's one more. But our, our, our saying this week, again, it isn't a call to let one's garden be overrun by weeds. And, and yes, the vices that are in Paul's lists are weeds. This week's saying instead, it's, it challenges the misclassification of Jesus's movement as a weed that must be rooted out. And I think we could learn a lot uh, about what it's like to be misclassified by listening to uh, LGBTQ people and, and, and others whom the Christian community has misclassified and tried to root out uh, through the years. And we have misclassified as a weed, something that produces good fruit, and it doesn't look like a weed at all. In fact, it's our misclassifying of the LGBTQ community on that list, to put an innocent community, an innocent group of people on a list um, th that labels them as harmful, that's producing, it's our misclassification that's producing a noxious, weed-like result. That's what's resulting in death. And, and it's at the root of the disproportionate homelessness and the suicide rate among Christian LGBTQ youth. Um, these are youth that have been rejected by their religious families and their churches. And the fruit of our recent translations and our interpretations and our misclassification of, of the LGBTQ people, it, it's not producing life. Um, quite literally, it, it's producing death. And we need to take an honest look at that. What's the fruit of our, our theology? Who is our theology doing damage to? And here are just a few of the lessons that I've learned as I've begun listening to the LGBTQ community. Number one, an apology that simply calls straight Christians 
to a more loving and respectful form of heterosexism, homophobia, biphobia, or transphobia, that's not an apology. There was a recent apology that I'm not going to to advertise here by uh, a group of Christian leaders um, that just didn't quite cut the mustard. Um, and number two, the language of reconciliation devoid of, of liberation, of actual change, it's just empty rhetoric, asking people to be reconciled where their oppression remains intact. Um, that's empty. And, and saying I'm sorry um, isn't enough. Kindness and, and respect are, are not synonyms of reparation for harm done in the past. Reparation for harm done in the past is reparation. And then lastly, allowing even respectful disagreement, and this is something we're working on in our heart groups, allowing even respectful disagreement over whether another person should exist, it's not creating safe space. And this last one is vital. The debate over LGBTQ people is really a disagreement over whether LGBTQ people should exist whether they should live openly, whether they should form families in our communities. And, and the list in Paul's writings are list of behaviors that can be changed, remember. Sexual orientation is much more like a person's skin color than their actions. It's not something to be changed. It, it's, it's who people are. And reparative therapy, however, um, however well-meaning it may be, it's an attempt to weed out a certain type of person from humanity. It's, and that person is an LGBTQ person. It's, it's trying to root them and their kind out from existence. And ultimately, uh, it's a form of genocide. Learning to listen to those who are not like you uh, as they share the harm that has been done to them through, through misclassification, it offers you the opportunity to make a choice between compassion or fear. And I remember a statement that Justin Lee again he once made during a presentation, he likened straight uh, cisgender people's emotional response to LGBTQ folks uh, to the emotional response that one might make to the statement that aliens have landed. And he said it all depends on whether you grew up watching the movie E.T. or The War of the Worlds. If you watched the movie E.T., the aliens have landed is good news. If you've watched War of the Worlds, the phrase aliens have landed, it strikes fear. The differences differences between yourself and another person, differences can be scary, but they don't have to be. Remember, yes, we do have differences, but there's much that we have in common too. And those who are different from you, they're also somebody's child. They're somebody's sibling. They're someone's best friend. And, and remember just to breathe and choose compassion. Have you ever been misjudged? Have you ever been misclassified? The mustard seed that was considered a noxious weed, it actually grew into a tree and it provided shelter and nesting places in its branches for the birds. Dr. Katie Cannon of, of Union Presbyterian Seminary, uh, she says it best, even when people call your truth a lie, tell it anyway, tell it anyway. And that's from the, the short film, a Journey to Liberation, The Legacy of Womanist Theology. What is the kingdom of God like? With what am I to compare it? It is like a seed of a mustard, considered to be a noxious weed, which a person took and threw into his garden, and it grew and developed into a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Heart group application this week, I need your help. 
uh, we're updating our Heart Groups page on Renewed Heart Ministries website, and we want to be able to share actual testimonials from those of you who've experienced what Heart Groups have to offer. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this week as a group, please share how uh, Heart Groups have been a benefit to you either as a group or individually. Um, and you can do so by going to the Contact Us page. I'll put a link to that also on our e-site, but you can go to the Contact Us page uh, on our website, RenewedHeartMinistries.com, and typing in your testimony. And I, again, I want to thank all of you who are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. People like you enable us to continue to exist and to be a positive resource in our world, especially in the work of survival and resistance and liberation, restoration and transformation. And if you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, we're a not-for-profit group that's informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth, and we're passionate about centering our values and ethics and the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies. And you can find more, uh, find out more about us by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and on the top left, clicking on who is RHM. And, and everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of making these resources as free as possible. And to continue doing this, we need the help of people like you. If you'd like to support the, Renew, the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, uh, you can make a one-time gift or you can become a monthly contributor by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of our homepage. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure while you do this that you also sign up for our free resources on our website. We have a monthly newsletter that will be mailed to you, and there's just so much more on that website you can take advantage of. But all of your support helps. Anything we receive beyond our annual budget, we're going to pass on to other not-for-profits. We do that every year. Uh, not-for-profits that are making systemic and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged in the in the status quo. And, and for those of you, again, who are already supporting our work, I just can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're on this journey with us and where you are this week. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation on our way to thriving. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 